Well, most of you probably know by now I'm in the 40 club. I've joined the 40 club and you know you're in the 40 club when you can injure yourself while sleeping, right? You go to sleep, you wake up and it's like your neck hurts and you stand up and you're like, my, my feet hurt, my legs hurt. Uh, you, you know you're getting older when you injure yourself while while sleeping. And uh, I just wanna say thank you for, for those of you that were here, I think on the weekend that our, our team must have asked you to fill out a form or something with notes to me. And they compiled that notes for, for my birthday and for Pastor Appreciation Month. And they put it in this really nice book with a bunch of pictures of people from our church and baptisms and our staff and our family. And it was, it was amazing. I read through it and I was crying and I got to the end of it, the very last one from my daughter Nixon and just died laughing. She said, dad, I'm so glad you're a pastor. You're an awesome pastor. Why haven't you gotten me a bunny? And um, I guess she just took that, that opportunity to take a shot at me. Why, why haven't you bought me the bunny yet, Dad? Nixon, babe, we're, we're never getting a bunny, okay? I'm sorry, I'm just not getting a bunny. We're, we're a one animal family, all right? We got one and it's all, all we can handle. So I've said though last week and in this series that as this past year, as I realized I was turning 40, that my midlife crisis wasn't uh, cars or anything else like that. It was, what am I gonna do with the remaining approximately 40 years that I have left to, to be a pastor? If God allows me to, if uh, our elders allow me to, um, what, what am I gonna do with those remaining 40 years? I've been in ministry for about 20 years now. And I began to process and think and pray about, God, what would you have for me to do with these, uh, with these 40 years that I'm gonna get to, to pastor this church. I planted this church a little over three years ago. I'm from Lubbock, I've been here all my life and uh, I'm, I'm not leaving. And, and so I, my plan is to be here uh, doing what I'm doing right now for the, for the rest of my life. And I just said, hey God, how do you want me to steward this time? What do you want me to do? And it was in the middle of our, our Daniel series early, earlier this year where it was like, this, this, is, this is who you are, Clayton. This is what I've put you on this earth. This is the way I've designed you is, is going to be to teach through my word verse by verse. And I just felt like God spoke to me, gave me a vision for this. And so this year we said uh, for, for the next 20, 30, 40 years, however long it is, I, I started off 20. I'm not so sure about 20 years. I think it's gonna be like 30 or maybe all 40. Uh, we're going to be preaching through the scripture. We're going to be making disciples. We talked a little bit about this last week, about what that looks like here. How are we going to make disciples here of us, of our families? And what is that, what does that look like? And, and this week we're going to talk about what does that look like there? Like in, what is there? Who is there? And what does it mean to make disciples and plant churches there? We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But what I've said is I'm giving my life to this. I'm going all in on this and my challenge for you and for us as a church in this series has been go all in with me. I want to challenge you to go all in with me, that we would be all in on the gospel message, making disciples that make disciples both here and there. And we're talking about what that looks like and, and why. And, and for that matter, we should ask that question. Why? Why should we give ourselves to this and not to something else? Why not everything else the world has to offer? Why should we go in all this? Why is this message and this vision worth your blood, sweat, and tears, your time and money? Why? Why would we be willing to sacrifice for this? And, and for that matter, we're talking, we're answering the question, why should Christians bother the rest of the world with this message about Jesus? Why should we be so passionate about our family members, friends, coworkers, and neighbors knowing Jesus? Why should we care 
about getting the gospel message out around the world to the ends of the earth. Why? Why should we care? Why is that worth not only you sharing the gospel and making disciples yourselves, but, but why is it worth giving our time and money and energy and resources, our blood, sweat, and tears to the gospel message? Why is it worth, why should we be going all in? Last week, if you were here, we, we, we kind of did a summary of the first half of Acts, 1 through 14, and we ended in 14, but, but we said basically that that story, and, and for that matter, the story of Acts is the story of the early church being obedient to Acts 1-8, Jesus' great commission to his disciples. We find it in Matthew 28, but we also find it in Acts 1-8. And for this series, we've kind of uh, zeroed in on Acts 1-8, where Jesus said, you will receive the Holy Spirit, and then you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so last week, we talked about how uh, the, and what that looks like in our Judea, Samaria, right? Our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. This week, we're going to be talking about what that looks like for us to the ends of the earth. But, but the story of Acts is just the story of the disciples. The, the early church in the power of the Holy Spirit, obeying Jesus's command to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And if you weren't here for that, I definitely want to challenge you to go back and watch that. It's on our app, on our podcast, especially if you're a member of our church. And, and then even if this is just your home church, but you haven't yet become a member of our church, I, I want to challenge you to make sure you have listened to that if you happen to miss last week. But it's the story Acts is a story of the early church being obedient to Acts 1-8 in spite of being witnesses in spite of constant persecution, imprisonment, beatings, and martyrdom. And they said, in spite of all of that, knowing that all of those things were in front of them, they said, we can't stop. We can't stop. We won't stop. They said it like this, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. We, we can't stop talking about this dead man who came back to life, Jesus, proved that he's God and proved that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 6. You, you can't just say Jesus is a great guy. No, Jesus said he was God and he said he's the only way to heaven. He said, no one gets to the father. No one goes to heaven except through me. So, so Jesus is either a crazy, arrogant lunatic, or he is who he said he is. And he is Lord, he is God, and he is the only way to heaven. He said, I'm the only way. And then he proved it. He proved that he's the only way to heaven. He proved that he's God by rising from the dead. And the disciples said, we can't stop talking about this because this man who claimed to be God, who claimed to be the only way to heaven, proved that he's God and prove that he's the only way to heaven by coming back to life. They saw a dead man come back to life and they said, we can't stop talking about it. We can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. The disciples would say, you read through the New Testament, we saw him with our eyes and we touched him with our hands over a period of 40 days. And so they went everywhere and they're telling everyone about this dead man who came back to life and proved that he's God. We can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. And we said last week, is that true of us? Is that true of, the, uh, of us who have claimed to meet Jesus and follow Jesus and have given our lives to Jesus? Is it true of us that we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard? We saw in Acts chapter 13 that Barnabas and Paul were sent out from the church at Antioch to go and preach and make disciples in the nations to the ends of the earth. 
That was Paul's first missionary journey. In Acts chapter 15, the council of leaders, of elders in the Christian faith in this day come together in Acts 15 in Jerusalem and they're trying to decide, do we really believe this? Are we really going all in that it's Jesus alone and it's Jesus plus nothing? Because you know what? It would be really great if there was another way. It would be really great if there was another name. So then we wouldn't have to do all this preaching and all this, get all these beatings and do all this dying, right? That would be wonderful, right? We wouldn't have to give our blood, sweat, and tears. If there was another name, if there was another way, if it's Jesus plus something else, then, then, then that would be good because we wouldn't have to die. We wouldn't have to go everywhere telling everyone about Jesus. If there was another way or if you could just come up with your own way. Then, then why would we have to go to the ends of the earth? Well, in Acts 15, they come together and they decide, nope, no, Jesus is right. He's God. He's always right. We don't get to come up with our own way. It's Jesus alone. And they would say it like this. I'll just summarize. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing. You give your life to Jesus. Your sin is forgiven. You're made right with God. And you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. It's Jesus plus nothing, but it's also Jesus alone. It's Jesus alone. And so they come together, they decide this. Then in Acts 16 through 20, Paul goes on his second and third missionary journeys. In Acts 21, he's arrested again for preaching the gospel. Paul, why don't you just give up, bud? Why don't you just stop? I can't stop. I won't stop. And before he gets arrested in Acts chapter 20, he shares his heart with a church, with some followers of Jesus. And I want you to see his heart. I want you to see the heartbeat of Paul, what he lived for and what he was willing to die for and why he kept going and why in Acts 21, he ended up being thrown in prison yet again. Acts chapter 20, verse 22, watch what he says. Paul says this, and now I'm bound by the spirit. Some of your translations say, might say compelled by the spirit. If you're following along in the message notes in our app, we use the NLT most of the time. And it says this, I'm bound by the spirit. And listen, this is the key to all of this. And last week and this week, that the question is like Paul, are you compelled by the Holy Spirit? Are you bound by the Holy Spirit? Is there's this driving passion in your heart, in your life to hate sin, run from sin, pursue holiness, and tell other people about Jesus. Because if you're like, I don't really have that, then it's not do harder and try better and start doing one, two, three. No, you've got a problem. That The Holy Spirit of God isn't living inside of you if you don't have a hatred for sin, a love for holiness, and a passion for telling other people about Jesus. You got a big problem. If this isn't true of you, there's not some sort of compulsion that comes from within you. Like we sang a second ago, there's a melody that's in my heart that I didn't put there and I didn't come up with it, but you put it there, God. This, this, this passion for God. If that's not there, then you got a big problem. It's only one of a few things. Either you're not a follower of Jesus and you know you're not, and so this isn't there. I mean, you, you haven't given your life to Jesus. And so you, you, you know it's not there. And, and you know why? Because you've never given your life to Jesus. Two, you, you think you're a Christian, but you're really not. And, and that's a bad spot to be in. I'm just going to tell you. you. You think you're a Christian, but you're really not. And, and, and Jesus said in Matthew 7, there's going to be many people who stand before him one day. He said many. 
Some parables he shared makes theologians say that half the people in the church, half of the people who think they're right with God and they're followers of Jesus actually aren't. You you think you're a Christian, but but you're not. You're just kind of a part of the club. You just show up to church every once in a while and you think maybe if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you'll be right with God. You kind of show up every once in a while, you sing some songs, you pray some prayers, you you listen to me or people like me, right? And and you think you're okay. You think you're right with God, but, but you're not because this isn't here because you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you, you, you thought you did. You, you prayed some sort of magical, you know, words that's called the sinner prayer. And you thought just by reciting that, that was going to make you right with God, even though that, that sinner's prayer that you recite, the magical formula that makes you, you know, forgive them, it's nowhere in the Bible. But, but this isn't there, this compulsion by the Holy Spirit to run from sin, to embrace and pursue holiness, and to tell other people about Jesus because you, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You, you think you're a Christian, but, but you're really not. That, that's the second option. Or, or third, the other option is that's been there before, but it's not right now. You're a follower of Jesus, but you've kind of turned away. You've gotten lukewarm. You've gotten apathetic. And, and it's just not there like it used to. It, it was there, but it hadn't really been there in a while. The great news this morning, regardless of where you find yourself, the Holy Spirit is going to draw you right now, even in this moment, to the Father. He's speaking to you. And he's telling you, hey, this is you, or that's you, or that's you. And you need to give your life to Jesus, or you need to return to Jesus this morning and pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I would be bound by, that I would feel compelled from the inside out, not some sort of external pressure, not because you feel guilty because I'm talking to you today, but there's this internal passion and change of heart that comes about as God fills you with his spirit if you're a follower of Jesus and revives your heart all over again for the things of God. Paul said, I'm compelled. I'm bound by the Holy Spirit to do what? To go to Jerusalem. That's dangerous. Watch, he says, I don't know what awaits me there except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Jail and suffering lie ahead. Let let me just dispel the idea that if you follow Jesus, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, and everything's going to go well for you. Right? That's a lie. That's a lie. The the scripture is clear. Paul's saying, "I'm, I'm going, I'm following Jesus, and it's the Holy Spirit that's leading me, and it's God that's warning me through the Holy Spirit that jail and suffering lie ahead as I follow Jesus and as I'm faithful to Jesus. So, so we know, he knows persecution is coming, right? And it's right around the corner. Acts chapter 21, he's arrested. The, the book of Acts ends with Paul still arrested. Most people think he, he eventually had his head chopped off by Nero. He said, jail and suffering lie ahead, but I'm compelled. I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit. I'm bound by the Holy Spirit to preach this gospel in spite of the suffering that lies ahead. He says this, my life, it's worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul says, I've got this compulsion by the Holy Spirit. I'm compelled. I'm bound by the spirit 
to tell other people about Jesus. It's the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. And in case you didn't know this, as a follower of Jesus, Christian, it's the work assigned to you by the Lord Jesus as well. In Acts 1, Jesus wasn't just talking to Peter and John, the super apostles. He wasn't just talking to those who were gifted with the gift of evangelism. He wasn't just talking to the extroverts. Jesus was talking to all of his followers in Acts chapter one, verse eight, the the church, there was about 120 of them at this time. It says they were gathering together to pray on a regular basis. There's about 120 of them. It says in Acts chapter one, and Jesus is talking to him right before he ascends to heaven. And he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Paul said that task that's assigned to you, it's assigned to me. Paul said it was assigned to me too. And that's what my life is all about. That's the mission of my life. That's the purpose for my life is to tell other people about Jesus. You see, you may have thought your purpose was to be a teacher or an engineer or an accountant or a coach or to be in sales and advertising, whatever, whatever your job is. You might've thought that was your purpose in life. It's not. That's your job. It's how you make a living. It's how you provide for your family. It's one of the contexts where you live out the purpose for which you were created. But that's not the purpose of your life. The purpose of your life is to know Jesus and make him known. And in your your workplace, the city, the school that you're in is just the context where you do this, where you live this out, where you complete the task that's been assigned to you by the Lord Jesus, the task of telling other people the good news about Jesus. It's called being a witness. In Acts 1.8, the word, the Greek word that Jesus uses for witness is martus. Martus. Sound like an English word you know? It's where we get the English word martyr. So, so watch this. Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to be my martyrs. You're going to be my martyrs. You're, you're going to publicly tell other people about me in spite of the cost. Jesus knew exactly what he was calling his disciples into. It was a very dangerous mission that he knew would cost almost all of them their lives. That's what it means to be a martyr. It means to be a public witness for Jesus in spite of the cost. That means what it means to be a witness for Jesus. And so Paul, you can clearly see once again, just like last week, they stone him right in Acts 14. They, they, Acts 13, they send him out. Acts 14, they stone him. They leave him for dead. They think he's dead. Church gather outs, pray for him. He's revived, whether he came back to life or, or was supernaturally just healed in the moment. We, we don't know, but he goes right back in. Remember, he goes right back. He goes right back into the same city. Why, Paul? Why go back into the city where they just tried to stone you? Why go back and keep preaching and, and keep making disciples? Why, Paul? Why? You know, God's warning you that suffering lies ahead. Why continue? Why not stop? We said last week, we'll say this week, Paul, the disciples, the early church, they were all in. They were all in. And they were all in because they believed this truth that we see over and over and over again throughout the scripture. Acts 4 verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given, let's say this together. Ready on the count of three. One, two, three. No other name. All right, some of y'all were out late partying at the tech game last night. We're gonna do that one more time, all right? 
We're going to say these three words together, okay, on the count of three. God has given one, two, three, no other name. They were all in. Salvation's found in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. They believe what Jesus said. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, no one goes to heaven except through me. They believed what Jesus said. If they didn't believe it when he said it the first time, they definitely believed it after he rose from the grave and proved that he's God and proved that he's the only way to heaven. And they gave their lives for this message. That's why they said, we can't stop. If there was another name, if there was another way, if you could come up with your own way to heaven, then we could stop. We wouldn't have to die. We wouldn't have to sacrifice. We wouldn't have to give our blood, sweat, and tears for this message. But if there's no other name, if that's true, and I believe it is, and almost every week here, I try to convince you that it is true, that there's no other name, that Peter was right, that Jesus was right, there's no other name. If there's no other name, then that means there's no other choice than to be all in like Paul. That whatever the cost, in spite of the suffering and persecution, he said that lies ahead, I consider my life, this life is worth nothing to me unless I finish the race, I complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. If there's no other name, there's no other choice. Not just for Paul, for you. There's no other choice. If there's no other name, then this is the most important thing in the world that you can possibly believe. And it's the most important thing you could ever possibly tell another person. If there's no other name. And if, if, if there was another name and if there was another way, or if you could come up with your own way, then why would Jesus tell his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses. Think about this. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. You're going to suffer and you're going to die for this message. Why would Jesus have his disciples suffer and die if there was another name? If there was another way. If there was another name, if there's another way, then surely what Jesus said was unnecessary. You're going to be my way. Why, why go to the ends of the earth? Why go tell anyone for that matter if there's another name, if there's another way, if you could come up with your own name, if you could come up with your own way? No, there was no other name. There is no other name. And that's why Paul was all in. That's why Paul was all in, in spite of the expected suffering and death that he knew was ahead of him. It's why we preach the gospel. It's why we make disciples here, like we said last week. But then it's also why we much preach the gospel and make disciples and plant churches there. Last week, we talked about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. That, that, that's kind of our here. This week, we're talking about to the ends of the earth. What does this look like taking this message to the ends of the earth there? And what do we mean by there? And who is there? Well, what we mean by there are the unreached people groups of the world. And you're like, what's an unreached people group? And where are they? I'm so glad you asked that because I've got a beautiful map to show you who they are and where they are, right? So right now in the world, over 7 billion, I believe people, that's the, the, the population now, 
7 billion in 17,000 people groups that's spread all over the world. The people groups is defined differently, but usually it's by language and cultural barriers. So, so when you cross one of those, uh, you, you, you reach into a new people group. So 7 billion, 17,000 people groups, the unreached are 3 billion in 7,400, 7,400 people groups. That's the unreached. It's about 41, 42% of our world lives in what's called an unreached people group, over 3 billion people. Now on this map, you've got some green areas, you've got some yellow areas, and then you've got all these red areas right here, mainly, right? A green area, a green country, a green people group is a people group that has more than green, more than 10% evangelical Christian. A yellow area, a yellow people group or country is a people group or country that is less or, or greater than 2% evangelical Christian, less than 10%. So it's between two and 10% evangelical Christian. A red area, a red people group or a red country is less than 2% evangelical Christian, less than two. And you see where most of the red areas are concentrated. It's in what's called this box, the 1040 window, which refers to its longitude and latitude. This is called the 1040 window. This is where the overwhelming majority of unreached people groups in the world live in what's called the 1040 window. Now you might be thinking, but aren't there unreached people here? No, there's not. There are people who don't know Jesus. There are people who don't follow Jesus but there are not unreached people here, meaning we have access. An unreached people group is a people group who could be born, live and die and never hear the name of Jesus. In an unreached people group, it is extremely, it is highly likely that you will be born, live and die, never hearing the name of Jesus, never seeing a Bible, never meeting a Christian, never seeing a church. Less than 2% evangelical Christian. That's when an un, uh, unreached, some kind, sometimes called unengaged, that's where there, it's even less. There's like zero gospel witness there. An unreached people group is there. There's, there's, a, there's a fraction of a gospel witness there, less than 2%, but, but there's, there are some Christians there, but for the most part, you're going to be born, live and die, never having met one of them, never having heard the name of Jesus. That's an unreached people group. Question for you, does that bother you? Does it bother you that there will be people, there have been people and there are people, there will be people who will be born, live and die and never hear the name of Jesus. Does that bother you? David Platt is the former president of the International Mission Board. The International Mission Board is the missions arm. It's the missions wing of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's a pretty popular pastor in our country. Uh, he's written a lot of books. He speaks at a lot of conferences. And uh, here, here's what David Platt said. He said this about unreached people groups. He said, unreached people groups must be untenable to a Christian. It should bother them to the core of who they are. He said, let's get real folks. People... And unreached people groups are either going to spend eternity in joy in heaven because someone goes and tells them about Jesus or because like what, what, what we have found has happened, Jesus is revealing himself in dreams and visions to people where there's never been a gospel witness before. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible. The links to which God is going to, to draw people to himself and to reveal his son. 
like leaving his throne in heaven and coming to earth, taking on flesh and dying on a cross, right? God is always going to extreme lengths, doing whatever's necessary to draw people to himself and to reveal his son to people. And so he, he said this, people are either going to live eternity in joy because they've met Jesus or in torment in hell because they have not. And so that's why the very idea of an unreached people group should break our hearts and bother us to our core. It must be, I agree with David, it must be untenable to us. And so that's why I prayed earlier, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. And then after you've broken our hearts, God, by your spirit, tune our hearts to beat for what your heart beats for. Break our hearts, God, for what breaks yours and tune our hearts to beat for what your heart beats for. So what do we do? How, how, do, how do we here do anything about people there in unreached people groups? Well, I wanna tell you three ways as a church we're going to get involved, we're going to, we've been involved and we're going to be more involved and we're going all in for those that live there, not just here, but for those who live there in unreached people groups. Number one, first of all, we're gonna pray. Jesus said to, to pray for more workers to go into the harvest field. And so we're going, we're going to pray. And in our daily devotionals, Monday through Friday on our app under the Bible study tab, you click on Monday tomorrow. And one of the links there, in addition to the Bible study, in addition to a worship song to listen to, one of the links there says, pray for the unreached people group of the day. You click that link and it takes you to Joshua Project, who, who they're the ones that put together this map. Um, they, they, they put a people group of the day out for you to pray for that are unreached. And you can read about that people group and, and, and see where, where the gospel's at and how it's progressed there. And you can see whether or not they have a Bible in their translation. And you can pray for the unreached people group of the day. You can join us here at, at City Nights. City Nights is Wednesdays at 6.30. It's our prayer service. And we regularly pray for the nations and for our foreign mission partners, which I'm gonna tell you more about here in just a second. But, but last week we prayed for our local mission partners. This week, this Wednesday, 6.30, we're going to be praying for our foreign mission partners. And I would love for you to come and join us. But, but we, we're called to pray for the unreached. We're called to pray for more workers to be raised up to go into the harvest, to go there, which leads to me to number two. Number one, we pray. Number two, we mobilize. We're going to teach the scripture verse by verse as we've been doing. We're going to make disciples and as we do so, I believe and I'm praying that God by his spirit is going to call some of us to leave here, to go there, to make disciples and to plant churches among the unreached. I'm praying for that. I'm praying that over the next 40 years that maybe I'll, more that I'll be allowed to pastor this church, that we'll send hundreds and thousands of people from here to there to make disciples in unreached people groups. And the way we're going to get people from here to there is called mobilization. We have a process, a step-by-step -step process that you can take to get from here to there. And the first step in our discipleship training school is what we're calling it. The first step is to attend our Discover class. Now, Discover 
Is it signing your name on the dotted line on a contract to move to Zimbabwe or something, okay? It's just a class where you get to learn about what God is doing in the nations and how you can be a part. And it teaches you basic disciple making skills so that you can make disciples here or there or anywhere you go. And, and so even if you're like, I'm not, I, I don't ever wanna be go to the nations or whatever, I would say, stop first. You need to be praying about that and engaging with the Lord on that, number one. But, but two, you can go through the Discover class and it's just gonna make you a more effective disciple maker here. If you're like, after that class, you're like, hey, I'm not, I don't really feel called to go there yet. Um, I'm still feeling called to be here. Well, then our Discover class will just help you be a more effective disciple maker here. But maybe after that class, you're like, you know, I want to keep going. I want to keep exploring this. I want to keep taking next steps. I, I, I'm thinking this is where the Lord's leading me. And then you will enter into the next step from there, which is deploy. It's another class that trains you even more. And it starts preparing you and equipping you to leave here and to go there, helping you find the right missions agency and everything. So we're going to mobilize. And if you're here and you're like, man, the Lord's really speaking to me today. And I at least want to take that first class and just discover um, what, what God has for me in the nations. I'm not signing my name on a dotted line or anything like that. I just want to go and discover Then I want to challenge you. Jump on our app, go to the signups tab. There's a link that says discipleship training school, fill out that form. And uh, Barry, our, our pastor who's over missions will be in touch with you and help you get into that class. It's going to be this next spring. And so I want to challenge you, some of you, that are feeling the spirit of God right now leading you in this direction to take a next step in this direction, to sign up for that discover class. It'll be next spring. And you can do so again with the signups tab on our app. And then third, we're going to pray. We're going to mobilize. And then third, we're going to strategically partner with organizations and ministries who are making disciples and planting churches among the unreached. So let me tell you about some of our current partners first, and then I'll tell you about our partners we're looking to add this next year. So with your new support, financial support this next year, uh, increased support this next year as you and your family get together and pray about what the Lord would have you to do and what going all in for you looks like, we're, we're looking to increase our support to our existing partners and add the new partners I'm gonna tell you about here in just a second. But first of all, First partner I wanna tell you about that we currently have is Harvest Evangelistic Association. It's called HEA. They are based in Chiapas, Mexico, down on the border of Guatemala. And they have church planting evangelists all, all over the world in eight different countries. In South, Mexico, South America, Africa, and the Philippines. HEA is all about raising up training and equipping native missionary evangelists to go out, preach the gospel and plant churches with their own people in their own language and their own countries. And they're about eight countries right now. And every Christmas, HEA puts on a massive kids ministry project in the mountains of Southern Mexico down right there on the border of Guatemala. It's called Kingdom Kids Christmas. And what they do is they fill backpacks like this. It says, Christ loves me. They fill these backpacks with school supplies and toys and they give them away as Christmas presents in the mountains. And they, they make about, I think about 100,000 of these backpacks and they go in the mountains and uh, partnering with local evangelists that they've trained and they give these out, they preach the gospel, uh, kids and parents, families get, are giving their lives to Jesus. And then as a result of that, they, they plant new churches. And so every year, every Christmas, they, they do what they call Kingdom Kids Christmas. Now, if you'll take out the flyer that's in the pew in front of you, it looks just like this. It says Kingdom Kids Christmas 2021. 
should be a flyer in one of those kind of pockets right in front of you. I want to draw your attention to this. There's some more information on here about Kingdom Kids Christmas. And you can see in this video right here, this time-lapse video of them putting together these backpacks, this ma these massive assembly lines. This is all the supplies. Right over here is the, uh, the backpacks piling up to the ceiling and coming out. It's about 100,000 of them. They put them together every year. Well, on, on here, you'll see some information about Kingdom Kids Christmas, and then there's an envelope where you could sponsor a backpack or mini backpacks for $10 each. And so here's what I wanna challenge you to do is pray about sponsoring a backpack. Last week, we talked about our local Christmas project to adopt families through communities and schools to bless this Christmas. This is going to be our foreign project to help be a blessing to the nations, to unreach people groups in the mountains of Southern Mexico down on the border of Guatemala. And so, you can tear this off, put a check in here, whatever. You can drop this in our offering boxes on your way out and we will mail it for you. Or you can feel free to take it with you and do it on your own. You can also, right now in our app, um, you click give and you can select a fund called Kingdom Kids Christmas and give online. And 100% of that money will go to the Kingdom Kids Christmas project. If you look in the signups tab on our app, there's a link that says Kingdom Kids Christmas It'll take you straight there where you can give directly to this fund and you can support a backpack or multiple backpacks at $10 each. But I want to challenge you to pray about that, about sponsoring a backpack for a child, for a family and an unreached people group to make open that door and to make a way for the preaching of the gospel and for planting of churches in Southern Mexico. Secondly, our next mission partner is Asian Partners International. And all of these partners, both local and foreign, are on our app under missions. You can select local mission partners and see everybody we talked about last week. You can select foreign mission partners and see everybody I'm talking to you about right now. So secondly is Asian Partners International. Uh, this is a movement led by Victor John in Northern India among the most poor people group. And API is about reproducing movements and disciples and disciples making disciples and churches planting churches among the unreached people groups in North India. Myself and one of our other board, uh, one of our elder el other elders serve on the board of directors for Asian Partners International. Asian Partners International over the last 30 years has seen upwards of 20 million people give their lives to Jesus and get baptized. Harvest Evangelistic Association in eight different countries they've seen in the last 30 years, about 2 million people give their lives to Jesus. These are movements of God that are multiplying and spreading among unreached people groups. And it's our honor, it's a privilege to be in part and to support these ministries. Next is Haley and Amy. Uh, th these are two people that our staff, our team has been connected to for many years now. They are on a team uh, with a ministry called Launch Global in Thailand, uh, where they are serving and making disciples and training and working with local churches there uh, to train them to reach their own people. And then finally is Vanessa Jimenez. And I saw her around here somewhere today. I don't know if she's in here, uh, but she's one of our partners. She is now, she was in Thailand. She's now back in Lubbock and she is working in the area of mobilization, helping get people from here to there and she's working with the ministry called TMS. And so we sponsor and we support Vanessa and her ministry uh, to help not only us, but other churches in the area mobilize people, Christians from here to there. So those are our existing partners. Here are new partners that we're looking to add this next year with maybe some of you starting to give for the first time, maybe some of your increased support as you and your family pray together over this next year, as you partner with us, we're looking to partner with these new uh, missionaries and organizations. The first one is a man named Pito. 
We worked with him last year. He's a pastor in Thailand. We worked with him last year to help build a community center where he is teaching English and preaching the gospel and in hopes to plant a church there in his own village. Pitote is working among the Isan. It's an unreached people group in Sisaket province of Thailand. He teaches English, he's hoping to make disciples and plant a church there soon. Pitote works with another pastor there and with a man named Dennis Medina. Dennis Medina is a partner we're looking to add this next year. He works with Pioneers Missions Agency he oversees teams in Sisaket and other provinces in Isan. And uh, most of his time is spent training these teams and raising up new teams and working with native workers like Pito. Uh, Prakash James is a new partner we're looking to add. Prakash used to work with Asian partners, uh, but now he's kind of branched out on his own. He started a new ministry. He's working in Delhi, India, where there's about 21 million people. Um, it's the Bhojpuri people group, and most of them are un- Reached, And so he's working there, making disciples and planting churches. And then finally, I'm super excited about this. We're going to be partnering with Wycliffe Bible Translating. And what they do is translate the scripture into native languages, right? So there's about 145 million people, according to Wycliffe, 145 million people right now don't have any copy of the scripture in their language. Zero. There's nothing for them. And so what Wycliffe does is translate the scripture into native tongues. About 40,000 of that 145 million people without a copy of the scripture, about 40,000 of those people are the Brow people group. And so we are going to be adopting the Brow people group through Wycliffe Bible translation and seeing them get a copy of the scripture in their own language. The Brow people group live in an unreached people group in Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, and Thailand. And so the vision there is to get the Brow people a copy of the scripture, which will take about six to nine years. And so our prayer is, our vision is, is as we sponsor and support Wycliffe Bible Translating, that their team will be able to translate the scripture into their language. Here's what's really cool. They already have a transcript or a version of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, in their language that they're testing out right now with brow leaders and speakers. But here's what they're going to be working on. Um, The completion is the first step, the completion of 11 books, Genesis, Mark, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. So that's kind of the first step. Finalize the copy of Matthew, and then begin work on these 11 books. That's the first step. And that's where our money is going to be going towards uh, to finish these 11 books, to get them an early copy of the scripture. And then after that, they're gonna begin working on the second step is Esther, the gospel of John, Romans, and portions of Exodus and Psalms. But, but we wanna support them through the long haul over the next six to nine years to see them get a copy of the scripture. And then you know what? We'll move on to another people group and help them get a copy of the scripture in their language. One of the ways we partner with these strategic partners isn't just by giving and praying, it's by going through short-term trips. And I, I, my, my heart, my hope is, is that every last person in our church will go on a mission trip. Short-term mission trips are, are, are powerful. They, they help you discover um, who you are in Christ and who your, what your gifts are to serve in the church. A mission trip, will help you 
discover your, God's passion for the nations and your passion for the nations and, and how those two things kind of intermingle and mix, you will grow spiritually on a mission trip like you never have before. Going on a mission trip will help, help you overcome fears. And so whether you ever go there or not long-term, going on a mission trip is a huge next step in being a follower of Jesus in your spiritual growth. So I want to challenge you to go on a mission trip. This next year in 2022, all of our trips are going to be in the country. Um, our hope is, is that in 2023, we'll begin to start, hopefully, we'll just have to see what's going on, obviously in the world, but we, we hope to start taking foreign mission trips once again. But this next year, we're going to see our students in uh, June and July, June 26th through July 2nd, 6th through 12th grade, go to Mission Arlington. Well, they'll serve with Mission Arlington during the day and then do some fun stuff at night. Our, our young college and young adults are going to the LA Dream Center July 12th through the 20th, working with the homeless and serving at the LA Dream Center. And then for anyone of any age can go to Denver. We're taking a trip to Denver, Northern Denver, where I have a friend, his name's Keith, who's planted a church there called Livingstone Church. And uh, we're gonna go help him with some outreach projects and kids ministries and things like that to help his uh, church continue to grow and then do some fun Denver stuff there too. That's for any age. And then in 2023, we're already planning uh, our, 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 an international trip to Israel where we'll take a vision trip through the Holy Land and we will go to church there with some potential partners and then meet with some other potential partners. So I, I tell you about all those trips now to prepare you so that you can plan, you can prepare. Um, we, we tell you about trips way in advance because every one of those teams will raise money and raise support to help pay for those costs. I've never seen someone, regardless of their financial situation, unable to raise the money that it takes to go on a mission trip. I've never seen it once. So regardless of where you and your family find yourselves financially, it's possible. But I wanna challenge you, whether it's next year, the year after that, the year after that, to go on a mission trip. And you can find out more about each one of these trips on our app right now. You go to the missions tab, you hit mission trips, all these trips are there. And once again, if you're not very digitally inclined, right? You like paper, okay? Maybe you're older than me and you like paper, I don't know, you know? Right now there's a table set up. If you turn around and look, there's a TV, there's some lights and tables with trip information for every one of these trips. And Pastor Barry will be there, Pastor Jacob will be there. If you have any questions about a mission trip or about that Discover class, you talk with them, they'll answer your questions and they'll get you connected, whether it's one of these trips or with our mobilization process to the nations. But just like I told you last week, we're going all in. And I'm inviting you to come with us. We're going all in. We're gonna preach the gospel. We're gonna make disciples. We're gonna plant churches here and there. Why? Why go all in? Why is this worth your time, your money, your blood, sweat, and tears? Why is this worth sacrificing for? Because if there's no other name, then there's no other choice. If this is true, and I believe it is, and I, I try to convince you with all that I've got that this is true, that this is the message of scripture. If that's true, then there's no other choice. 
Uh, I'm not saying there's not questions in your mind right now. I talked to some people after last week. I'm not saying there's not questions in your mind right now. If there's no other name and there's people groups who've never heard the name of Jesus and they die without having, what's going to happen there? I, I, I get that there's questions. There's some, there's some philosophical questions there that you can wrestle with. But, but regardless, the message of scripture is if there's no other name, then there's no other choice. And the scripture is clear. There's no other name. We, we've, we've answered that question before and we'll answer it again. But my hope is your, your heart is broken over unreached people groups and you just don't try to philosophize your way or whatever out of your way out of it. That's not an option in the scripture. We're told to go to the ends of the earth in spite of the cost. Why? Because there's no other name. During World War II, there was a ready acceptance by most Americans of the need to sacrifice in order to achieve victory in World War II. During the spring of 1942, a rationing program was established that set limits on the amount of gas, food, clothing. Families had ration stamps that were used to buy their allotment of everything from meat, sugar, fat, butter, vegetables, fruit, gas, tires, clothing. The U.S. Office of War Information released posters in which Americans were urged to do with less so that they'll have enough. Who were the they? The they were those that were willing to go there. It was the troops that were willing to go and die. Do with less, it said, so that they'll have enough. Individuals, communities, conducted drives for the collection of scrap metal, aluminum cans, rubber, all of which were recycled and used to produce armaments. The alternative to rationing was planting what was called a victory garden. Americans planted victory gardens in which they grew their own food. By 1945, 20 million such gardens were in use and accounted for about 40% of all the vegetables consumed in the US. In light of this, Ralph Winter, an American missiologist, which just means he's a theologian in the area of missions. He said this, talking about unreached people groups. He said, God's people in a prosperous land like America simply cannot live as though there were not thousands of unreached people groups who are under enemy control. He said, the Christian must live at all times with a wartime mentality, a wartime mentality, a willingness to sacrifice and do with less here so that we can get the gospel there. A wartime mentality. That, that sounds like all in to me. That sounds like all in, in this era of our country, all, almost all were all in. It wasn't some gave all and all gave some. It was all gave all. And that's the way it must be as a Christian who lives in a wartime mentality. I'm going to give all because there's no other choice. There's no other name. That means there's no other choice than for all to give all. Here's what that looks like. Some are going to 
sacrifice being here to go there. Some of you, the Holy Spirit might be even telling you right now and nudging you right now. You gotta sign up for the Discover class. I've got more for you. I've got something for you. Some of you by the Holy Spirit, I'm praying, are going to sacrifice being here to go there. I'm praying in the life of our church in my lifetime, leading this church, we'll see hundreds if not thousands of people go from here to there. And like I said, we're gonna help you get there with our mobilization process. This is what it's gonna look like for some of us. Here's what it's gonna look like for the rest of us. We're going to sacrifice here so that others can sacrifice to go there. We're gonna live in a wartime mentality. We're gonna sacrifice here. We're gonna do with less so that they'll have more, so that they can go there. You see, we're not all called to do the same thing, but make no mistake, Christian, we're all called to do something. We're all called to go all in. It looks differently for all of us, but we're all called to go all in. And my hope right now is that just like Paul, the Holy Spirit of God is moving in your heart. That's my prayer, compelling you kicking inside of you saying, this is it. This is why you're on this planet. This is why I created you for, this is the purpose. This is the mission of your life. It's to go there or it's to sacrifice here so that they can go there. It's to make disciples here and there. There's no other names, there's no other choice. An all in mission requires an all in church. It requires all in people. And so for some of you, you, you need to go all in with us. You need to start volunteering and serving in our church to help other people experience what you have. You, you need to serve because as you serve, you begin to live the ways or begin to learn the ways that God has gifted you by his spirit to serve his church for his glory. You need to start volunteering. You need to join a city group where we're making disciples. We're studying the scripture and we're making disciples. You need to join a city group, get involved in one of our Bible studies. You need to start, start giving. You've never, you've never given here regularly before. You kind of give if, even if and when you have kind of some loose change or spare money. But you, you haven't been regularly giving. You, you need to get in the game and start giving. You can do that online right now on our app. Where there's recurring weekly and, and monthly giving. You need to start giving for the first time. Some of you, you're faithful givers and, and maybe the Holy Spirit is leading you to go all in. Like it's time to increase. It's time to increase our giving as we head into next year. Some of you need to pray about a year-end gift that you give at the end of this year to help us keep preaching the gospel and making disciples both here and there and to go further with these partners that we've talked about today. Some of you need to go to our next membership lunch. That's today. Now, this membership lunch is pretty packed. It's two or three times the amount of people we've ever had to go through a membership lunch. And so while if you wanna show up, I can't guarantee you a lunch, I can guarantee you a chair. And so if you are wanting to join our church and know everything we believe and our values and the ins and outs of our church, you wanna join? Then right after the service, come join us for our next membership lunch. Maybe it's time for you to go all in and covenant with us to be a disciple that makes disciples here at the city church. Or maybe the Spirit's leading you to sign up for that Discover class. No other name means there's no other choice. All of us must be all in. But I, I, I don't want you to get stuck on me challenging us to go to the nations or, oh, we talked about money today. 
No, no, here's the, here's the invitation. It's so much bigger than that, it's so much greater than that. Paul said this in Philippians chapter two. He said this, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Paul, Paul says, there's a way of living that makes sense in light of eternity. And there's a way of living that doesn't make sense in light of eternity. And Paul's saying, I wanna live my life in a way that makes sense in light of eternity. So that when Christ returns, I can be proud that I didn't run my race in vain and that my work, my work was useless. It wasn't, it wasn't, or it was useful, it wasn't useless. He says this, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, even if I die, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. Paul says, this is where joy is found. And so that's the invitation. It's an invitation into joy. That's what the Holy Spirit is leading you into. It's into joy. It's in pouring yourself out, Paul said. It's in pouring ourselves out together for the sake of the gospel, that's where joy is found. And Paul said, I want all of you to share in that joy with me. There's a joy that comes from going all in, from pouring yourself out together with other people for the gospel. If there's no other name, then there's no other choice. God, I pray that right now, your Holy Spirit would break our hearts for what breaks yours that your Holy Spirit would cause our hearts to beat for what's on your heart. God, I, pr I, I pray that by your spirit, you would, as you're calling us into joy, that you would, God, remove fear and doubt and worry. And God, I pray that in this moment and as we sing, God, that your spirit would just allow these words to land and to take root in our hearts and to produce a harvest that bears fruit in our lives. God, I pray that it would be true of us that we share in the joy that Paul had of pouring ourselves out together for the sake of the gospel. It's in your name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we sing together?